podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. We've got a lot to get to, and yet I also feel like this might be one of our shorter shows. Um, we'll just see what happens. We'll see what happens. My My... My my show notes are short, which is weird. It just is what it is. Uh, don't worry. You don't have to just listen to me for 10 minutes and then we're done. I have two guests joining me, as I always do. One, he's here every week. We love him. Uh, we will try and... You know what? Andy Mitz. That's that's who it is. You guys know who this is. It's the Rock by the way, podcast Philip, podcast. Yeah. Why did you have to jinx it by saying that this show could be short? You realize every single time you say we're going to have a short show, it goes for about an hour and a half. And I don't have time for an hour and a half long show I, tonight. I'm so. leaving it up to you. I'm leaving it up to you. And our second guest, Jamie Steyer Johnson, not here today. She is calling an Iowa State women's basketball game, so she could not be with us. Uh, filling in is the Lockheed stats guy himself. That is John Wheeler back with us again. John, welcome. I am once again excited to be here to talk Big 12 football, and I will note for Andy that not one show I have been on as a guest has gone short, but we will do our best to keep it brief, keep it to the interesting facts, the cool conversations, and we'll have some fun while we're at it. Fun is important. Um, there's a ton of stuff going on, and it's going to be hard to touch on every piece of news and really give it the the service that it is due. Um, I would suggest if there's a lot of school-specific things outside of <laughs> TCU, BYU, or Cincinnati, shucks on the Cincinnati, uh, we've got a show to cover it for you here in the 1012 Network. We've got a podcast for every show except those three. If there's something going on with your school, I know there's football going on right now, there's going to be bowl destinations we'll find out in about a week. We've got men's and women's basketball going strong. We just found out about NCAA volleyball and which teams are going to compete in the NCAA National Championship uh, for it. So... Lots of stuff going on. Make sure you are follow, subscribed to every show on the network, especially the ones that cover your school. Andy's got Rock Chalk Podcast. Jamie and her brother Eric have uh, Cyclone Family Podcast. We've got Feels Like 45 for Oklahoma State. We've got Sons of UCF for UCF. We've got a show for everyone. I'm working on TCU, BYU, and Cincinnati. I, we'll, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Some are easier than others. We'll see what we can do. But there are some say, big news. We had a TCU show. Unfortunately, those fantastic hosts went on to other things and I cannot blame them one bit, but Hey, we did have TCU for a while. There's just, unfortunately not a lot of TCU podcasters out there. So there's not, let us know if you know of any really good ones. Cause let me tell you, we are looking to add one before frogs today gobbles them up. Um, they do great work over there. They do. I like, it's, it's not even like I'm mad after a while. It's just like, I mean, I can't blame them for also wanting the good TCU shows. Uh, let's talk about the biggest news for one of the incoming schools. This does obviously affect the big 12 Luke fickle uh, reportedly going to become the head coach at the uh, Wisconsin and leave Cincinnati. This is some big news for Cincinnati. Obviously <coughs> we had been hoping that he Luke fickle will be coming with Cincinnati to the big 12 next season. Instead, he will be staying up, uh, in the area, but going to the Big Ten, head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. It makes a lot of sense for Fickle. Uh, this is a guy whose name had always been attached to Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, those are two jobs that are not coming open anytime soon unless Ryan Day goes to the NFL, and I don't always buy those NFL 
college NFL rumors all that much. Um, he had reportedly uh, talked with Michigan State. That didn't go anywhere. Uh, but Wisconsin, that's the job. Uh, this is a, a university and a, an athletic department that's looking to finally go in a very different direction, not having somebody that's been attached to the program for a long time. Looked like that was going to be Jim Leonard's job for a while, and then the report comes out Sunday that it's going to be fickle. So uh, tough for Cincinnati. Obviously, that is a, a an opening that's going to be intriguing. And I think one that should have a lot of interest, again, joining a Power 5 conference. It is the only, at the time, G5 school to have made the college football playoff. It's been set up very well. We've seen a lot of coaches have a lot of success for their, uh, success there outside of, you know, the guy who used to also play at Texas Tech and is now a, a senator, a congress, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it's a tough time for Cincinnati. I'm really intrigued by who ends up with this job. Like, I, this is a, of all the job openings, Arizona State's been filled. Uh, Charlotte got filled. Um, let's see. Obviously, Wisconsin's getting filled. We're seeing the jobs get filled up. Cincinnati coming open. I'm I'm very intrigued at the list of names, not the one that like gets put out by all the agents, like the actual list of names that we're going to start hearing as to who might get this job. Yeah, I, I think that one's an interesting one because it opens up, I think, a lot of possibilities for for candidates who maybe would be looking to jump to a bigger job, but don't want to deal with you know, all the hoopla of a Nebraska or an Auburn or things like that. Like there is a very different profile of a coach, you know, who's in Cincinnati than there is for a coach who is going to be at one of those other high profile jobs. And I obviously don't blame fickle at all for moving up to Wisconsin. And that was a, that that's a program that looks like it just needed a change and needed a new type of coach for a long time. And they finally are getting one. I'll be interested to see what he can do there. If you're not going to be able to make it to the, you know, Ohio state or Michigan type jobs, that's not a bad consolation prize going to a place like Wisconsin where they can have success playing that sort of style of football. I will be interested to see what he's able to do uh, there, but obviously Cincinnati coming into the big 12 gives a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's an intriguing time to take over the job. It really lets you put your stamp on the program, moving to the new conference, but still kind of building off of, you know, the playoff appearance and everything else that happened to get them to where they are today. I think that wraps up all the big news in the big 12. I, I can't, oh, yeah. John, go ahead. On, on Cincinnati. I, I wonder if they peaked too soon. You know, the, the program Luke fickle took over 2017, you know, they go four and eight in the first year where he's in town. Then it's 11 and two, 11 and three, nine and one, 13 and one, make the playoffs. Now you're nine and three, you're losing your head coach. If they had peaked, let's say two years later, you know, Luke Fickle maybe coming off of the 11 and 2, 11 and 3, maybe the 9 and 1 season, maybe he's not leaving to Wisconsin. Maybe you're coming into conference, into the Big 12 with what should be a contending team, you know, maybe make a playoff run. And then Cincinnati invests into the program and Luke Fickle decides to stay because he has proven that he can deliver in the big 12 at Cincinnati. Whereas now you're nine and three, kind of a so-so season. The resume wasn't spectacular. Uh, You lost your three biggest games of the season. It felt like, and so Luke Fickle gets the payday heads over to Wisconsin. You know, I wonder, you know, is is that going to hurt Cincinnati's momentum coming into the big 12 because they hit a peak in 2020 and 2021 can they there or are they going to kind of drop back into the mediocre, but you know, better than average 
cluster, which is most of the Big 12. Uh, I think, though, there's a concern there that if, you know, if they come over into the Big 12, I mean, because we saw a team like TCU that was playing really well in the Mountain West that was doing, you know, a lot at one of those G5 leagues come over and struggle mightily with the huge change in, you know, the step up in competition, the, like just the way that the Big 12 is completely different from some of those other leagues. Now, you can make the argument that, you know, in this day and age, it's not that much of a difference, um, especially with the transfer portal and like everything else that happens. Um, I think that the transition might be a little bit easier, but if they don't get the playoff run, then I don't know that fickle peaks nearly as high, especially going into a probably much more, well, no, easily a much more difficult top to bottom conference in the big 12. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, fickle was going to get a P five job at some point. The success was there. I understand the peaking argument. I think you have other concerns of just, Look, there's a big difference between joining the big two conferences that are like three times the amount of money coming in as everybody else does and joining the Big 12. And I know we've seen TCU have success in the Big 12 more than West Virginia. West Virginia has struggled in the Big 12 since they arrived um, from from the Big East. Um, They're going to be, I think it's more likely of the teams coming in, like, do you have the resources to compete? And I don't know. Like, I just, I'm, I don't know. I get it. I get one of the resources that you're going to get Wisconsin over the resources you're going to have at Cincinnati. I do. And, and he's a Big Ten guy. And I understand saying I want to I want to be in the Big Ten more than I want to be in the Big 12. It makes a lot of sense for to take this opportunity at a program like Wisconsin if they are actually committed to investing in that way, in the way that you have to to compete. And you can't say you're not going to because you can't afford it because <laughs> you get a lot of money coming in. Let's, I don't want to hear about it. So uh, big for Cincinnati. We'll keep track of that. Uh, I did mention NCAA volleyball. Uh, the uh, seeding was announced. Texas got a one seed. Congrats to Texas. I believe Baylor with a four. Uh, let's see here. Houston with a five. I'm uh, scrolling through. Look, Baylor with a four. Like I said, uh, Kansas made the tournament. They'll be facing off against Miami, who's a seven seed. BYU got a seven seed. Iowa State a six seed. Uh, UCF a five seed. And TCU also made it in. Uh, they will be facing off against eight seed Washington. If I missed a Big 12 team, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do this on the fly. I didn't have the list of them all written down. I just knew that it occurred, and I knew some Big 12 teams got in. So good luck to all of the volleyball teams in the Big 12, current and future, who will be competing in the NCAA tournament. Okay. For the first time since 2009, a team from the state of Oklahoma will not be in the Big 12 championship game. For the first time since 2003, the Big 12 champion will be, the Big 12 championship, let me refresh that, will be won by a team wearing purple. Congrats to TCU and Kansas State on making it to Arlington. Teams picked 5th and 7th in the preseason media poll, though we had them 3rd and 6th. Not that that really matters because we were still also very wrong. Uh Saturday, I mean, look, I'm going to do a show here in a couple of weeks um, looking at the teams who had disappointing seasons. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on those teams today. I don't want to spend a lot of like, let's break down what all happened this year kind of stuff. I want, we can kind of look back a little bit. I do want to kind of look at the championship game. We can look back at some of the, of the games, but I don't want to do like full season breakdowns just yet. We're going to look at some of the teams. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on Iowa State. What I do want to talk about... Um, before we dive in on this matchup is what TCU did on Saturday to not only they'd already had the, the birth in the big 12 title game locked up, what TCU did on Saturday to finish a 12 and 0 regular season to Iowa state 
is incredibly impressive. <coughs> I know Iowa State's offense is garbage. We saw that if you watch the game, we all saw the stat. Every every like defensive stat in the Big Twelve was first. Every offensive stat in the Big Twelve was last for Iowa State. We all saw it. Um, Iowa State, even after the beating they took, were in the year averaging uh, holding teams to twenty point two five points per game, which is eighth nationally in total defense. This has been a top ten Iowa defense nationally all season. Um, this has been the best defense in the Big Twelve. No one really had been able to score all that many points on Iowa State. And the TCU went out and hung 62. Take away the two defensive scores, TCU's offense put up 48 points. That's the most Iowa State has allowed this year by a large margin. And we mentioned that 20.25. It's more than double Iowa State's average on the season defensively. What TCU did on offense to Iowa State's defense was an incredibly impressive performance on Saturday. And exactly the kind of thing you wanted to see from TCU, rounding off the regular season, needing to have that push to keep themselves locked into that top four. And look, if they go undefeated, it doesn't matter. But I think that was impressive. Again, I understand Iowa State, the season's over, but they have a chance to play spoiler. I don't think they did. It didn't seem to me like Iowa State phoned it in this past Saturday. I think what TCU did on Saturday in Fort Worth was incredible incredibly impressive and one of the best performances of the season, even considering how bad Iowa State's offense is. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of tired of hearing from people, though, that TCU had something to prove. Um, look, I realize that we had yet to see them just completely dominate a fantastic defense. But I'm going to be honest, like, they have played plenty of defenses that are going to be fairly similar or on par with what they would face in the football playoff. Like, you can talk about how great Georgia's defense is, but they're not the, you know, Georgia defense that we saw last year. You can talk about how fantastic the Michigan offense is. Like, all of these teams have great pieces, but there is not a team that is as dominant as Georgia and Alabama have been in the last few years. This is a really good TCU team that has won in every single way imaginable, even more so now, obviously, that they just completely dominated Iowa State on on, – offense there you know against probably the like one of the best defenses in the nation not just the big 12 but in the nation and so yes it was great to add that feather you know to their cap but i don't think it was necessary at all and like most of the national talk after this game was oh well tcu finally showed that they could you know score against a really good defense because you know they saw that texas game that was 17 to 10 and you know we're talking about, well, is TCU going to struggle against good defenses? It's like, no, they had one off game for their offense, but they've already shown multiple times that they can just go ballistic offensively. Um, they have won plenty of different styles of games. Ten or TCU is clearly, I think, one of the top two or three teams in the country. And, you know, they should be heavily favored going into the championship game against Kansas State. Um, if they don't win, I think they still make it into the playoff. I think if they don't win, they should comfortably make it into the playoff. This is a weird year for the playoff. All three of the unbeaten team could lose and still comfortably make the playoff, or at least they should, considering where the alternatives are. Um, I actually did a study and found that if you, you could have seven teams in consideration for the playoff spots and not one of them would be conference champions. And, you know, that's just how this year has unfolded. You know, Georgia, uh, Michigan, USC, you could all lose 
this next weekend and the debate for the playoff would be Georgia, Michigan, and TCU likely in. And then you're looking at USC, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Alabama, and none of those seven would have a conference championship. So I don't think that really matters. I think TCU is in right now off of the strength of what they have done this year, no matter what happens next weekend. They have been that good this year. And I think one of the things that will benefit TCU when they make the playoffs is that they have won games. You said it, Andy. They've won games so many different ways this year. And when I was watching Michigan and Ohio State this weekend, Ohio State got down for the first time really all year where they were put under serious game pressure. And under that game pressure, they folded. And TCU has been under serious game pressure several times this year. And each time they rose to the occasion, they made the plays that they needed to make. And they found ways to win games, usually going away after being tested earlier in the middle mid game against really good teams. And I think that is going to benefit TCU when they make the playoff because there will be strong opposition and there's a decent chance that they will be under substantial game pressure in a playoff game against Georgia or Michigan. And so uh, I think it's a tremendous credit to TC that they've made it to 12 and 0 and comfortably the deepest conference in college football. And they are very well positioned to make the playoff. I think whether or not they win on Saturday, they should be, they, they should be. I don't trust the committee to do yeah, the, the only right reason thing is because the committee, right. Like, they should be. If they lose to Kansas State on Saturday, unless they are blown out by, like, three scores, they should be in. If it's a close loss, an overtime, something like that, they should be in. They should. But we've seen it too many times. I mean, there's nobody. You have, what is it, five teams with one or no losses in Power 5 left. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, and Ohio State. Ohio State just got absolutely drubbed by Michigan. Destroyed by Michigan. Alabama's got two losses. Well, but they barely... Yeah, well, AM sucks, and you barely beat them. And Tennessee, 10-2, and two, great, but their starting quarterback is out. You're not going to put them in. 10-2 Penn State, Washington, Clemson. <clears throat> like, at this point, with everything and, and all the madness that unfolded this past weekend with Clemson losing to South Carolina, with LSU losing, so even if they win... The SEC, like, if, if, here's the thing. If LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, should Georgia still be in the playoff? Yes. And that should, the same thing should apply for TCU, even though they're in the Big 12, even though they haven't won a national championship last year, even though yada, 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 yada. If you just take it and look at the resume for this season, if TCU loses, they should still get in. Will they? I don't know. And I'm hoping we hear that kind of narrative start to generate. And maybe that's on us. Maybe that's our job. We need to start generating that narrative on Twitter. You know what? I just found a found an art. Something I'm going to hammer all week long until people get tired of it. They should. To the, the point on, on TCU and the defenses they faced. The Iowa State's the best defense they faced this year. It was number four. If we want to go off of uh, 2022 college football defensive FEI ratings, love football outsiders. Iowa State was number four. They also beat Texas, who was number 12. Kansas State, who was number 13. Uh, let's scroll on down. Texas Tech, who was 19. There's a fun one for you. Uh, let's see. TCU was 26. There you go. Like, they've faced good teams. The Big 12, we've talked about this all year. John will pack this up. It is the deepest conference. 
top to bottom. It was the most difficult conference for anyone to get through. You did not get a day off. I don't care about the backup quarterback stuff. I don't care about whatever injuries they faced. They got down. They fought back. TCU should get in whether they win or if they win. Yeah, but if they lose on Saturday, they should still make the playoff. Period. End of story. The team who they will be facing in Kansas State. Man, that game on Saturday, Andy. Um, I know what the final score indicated, but I, I'm going to say that game was a lot closer than it actually... Okay, I'm kidding. I'm really just screwing with Scott because he literally DM'd me on Twitter to about this. Um, speaking of teams coming into their season finales and wanting to make sure that nothing was left to any sort of misinterpretation, Kansas State came out and beat Kansas soundly. And Andy, I'm really sorry because I've seen all the uh, old tweets from you that are getting brought back up and liked and, and retweeted and responded to on Twitter, buddy. Uh, we could talk about that later. But I will say this. Um, Kansas State. Like, I, I, I muted those a long time ago, so, so you don't have to worry <laughs> about me. Well, they, I, I, I had didn't... a feeling something like that was going to happen um, when, you know, Kansas State started to get good. So, uh, you know, when they started making the first round, I, uh, I went ahead and muted all those. So, I mean, I, I know that there and i know that people are responding to them but i i don't really care at this point look i'm not going to get all of them right i'm just happy that i was right about kansas going bowling so i mean you know I, you win some you lose some so this is a good kansas state team it seems like they are really rounding into form right at the time you want to do so they're headed to arlington this is to me this is the rematch i am most excited about I, i'm i'm very excited for this rematch because we should have a healthy TCU versus a healthy Kansas State and hopefully a healthy Will Howard the whole game. I want to see what happens when these two teams on a neutral site face off and are able to keep both teams healthy for the duration of the game. And that's what I want. I don't want to see any injuries. I don't want to see anybody knocked out. I don't want to see any, well, they did this. No, I want two healthy teams to go at it. And I'm, I am very excited for this game. This is to me, from just an outside perspective, the rematch I am most excited to see from the Big 12. This is the one I wanted to see. And this is what we're going to get. So I'm, I am very excited from that standpoint. Guys, how do you, how are you feeling not having to go to like this matchup for this match, but just how are you feeling about this big 12 title game? Do you, do you feel like this is the game that we should get? Is, do you, are you excited about this? It's, what do you feel about this game? You know, a week out uh, from, from our, from when it takes place. So I'll go first. I, if you're looking at this as a game between the top two teams in the conference, you know, this is the game the Big 12 should have had. Texas has way overrated. To, part of what I do when I'm breaking resumes, I look at a, a composite team strength rating. So how strong are teams? We pull 50 different rating systems together and we blend it all together to understand strength of a team. TCU right now rates as the fourth strongest team in the country behind Georgia, Michigan, and yes, Ohio State, even though they looked bad in that loss to Michigan, still rate strongly. TCU ahead of Alabama, Tennessee, the other teams that we're hoping to contend this year. But Kansas State quietly, even though they're only nine and three, they rate as the eighth strongest team in the country. And in the AP poll, they're only 13. But you know, if they're the eighth strongest team on paper, that is going to be a tough test for TCU. It's a much stronger opponent than what either Georgia or Michigan will face in their conference title games. And it's not close. Kansas State is really good. Now, Texas would have also been a challenging opponent. They rate 10th 
in the AP poll, they're somewhere in the 20s, like 21 maybe. But you know, Texas, a top 10 team on paper, according to the composite ratings. But I think the fact that Kansas State really pressed TCU earlier this year and then had quarterback injuries, that is what I'm most excited to see. I think uh, no, all respect to Adrian Martinez, I think Kansas State has a higher ceiling with Will Howard at quarterback. And the fact that he's going to be quarterbacking that team against TCU, hopefully healthy for the full game, I think that is going to be a test that TCU has not seen this year since they trailed Kansas State while Will Howard was still in the game in Fort Worth earlier this season. They're going to really get tested in a way that the other contenders are not going to. And if TCU can find a way to win that game, they're going to launch into the playoff with reckless abandon because of the momentum they would carry beating a really strong Kansas State team. Yeah, see, what I heard there is that the national media and the ranking um, body of voters have been underrating the Big 12. Like you look at it, can or the Big Twelve, right, has number four, number eight, and number ten that we're all potentially going to go to their championship game. And look, you can tell me that the Big Ten has, like, the fact that the Big Ten and the SEC, you know, and even the ACC have all of their power concentrated in one division, that then you know completely eliminates that from the championship game. I would I would argue that TCU probably. Um, I mean, they already had the number one strength of record coming in or the last like five weeks, I think it was, where like you look at it and they had the best resume. If you look, you know, while guys like Stephen A. Smith and Paul Feinbaum were talking about how TCU hasn't really done much. And it's like people don't pay attention to the stats that are actually important. TCU has been, I think, by far the most impressive team this year with what they've been able to do and what they were expected to do coming into the year. I, I think I think you have to take some of that into account, which probably hurts them in the, you know, esteem of a lot of the voters because they're like, hey, they weren't supposed to be doing this. You know, like this is this is something that's completely out of the ordinary. While we always want to talk about, you know, the team that is like the Cinderella story or the team that really, you know, um, outperforms expectations, we still carry, I think, some of those biases about how well a team is supposed to be, you know, how good a team is supposed to be coming into the year and can use that against them when we get to this sort of time frame. TCU is a is a much better team than I think a lot of people give them credit for. And, and I know that Kansas State and Texas were both much better teams than I gave them credit for at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things, though, where the Big 12 for years has been sneaky good and not getting the recognition. And the fact that TCU is undefeated in this season is, I think, probably the most impressive thing I've seen in, in a while. Yeah, there are two things that I think really stand out when people evaluate the Big 12. One, like the playoff committee themselves, I remember like the first week this year where they came up with the rankings, Boo Corrigan um, quoted, I think the quote is, uh, we rank teams or rate teams, not conferences. And when you don't understand the depth of the conference, it's really hard to fully understand and evaluate the team. And I, I think that is a mistake that not only the committee, but the national media have made with regard to the Big 12. You think about like the beginning of the year, who were the three teams that people thought would be good in the Big 12? You know, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, all three of them underperformed according to the preseason expectations. And so then from that point of view, people are thinking, oh, well, maybe the Big 
12 is just not as good this year. You know, the teams that were supposed to be good aren't. And then, oh, here comes TCU. I'm not sure what to think about them. Maybe it's a fluky year, Cinderella run. And in, they just don't understand the depth and the value of being in this conference. It is such a deep conference this year. It is abnormally so deep that uh, you know, it makes it hard for people. If they're not going to understand that depth, they're not going to recognize and respect the power at the top of the conference. No, of course not. They're not. And that's their loss. And I, hopefully it's not TCU's. And I'm hoping that enough chaos occurred, like LSU and Clemson losing again, to to put us in a spot where we're really not having to do the like, well, Ohio State, should... Alabama with two losses should sneak their way in. Like, no, like we we there are, there are five teams for four spots. That's that's how I look at this. And one of them just got housed this past Saturday in Ohio State. The only other, five teams with with one or fewer losses. There's no justification for a two-loss team in the playoff this year. There's no need for a two-loss team in the playoff this year. I understand your job is to put the best teams into the playoff, and that is the problem with the whole situation is because then it becomes a we're going to decide who we think is best and then figure all the rest of it out to justify our beliefs. Like, you got five teams for four spots. It's real easy. That That's who it comes down to. And if one of these teams got to this point, DC loses the game. I, I still think they should be in. I'm sorry, I do. They should still be in. They should still be in. TCU should be ranked ahead of Michigan. They should have been ahead of Michigan for like five weeks now. Yeah, but Michigan, on, you know, they made the, the playoff. Michigan just beat Ohio State. It's the best win of the year. And TCU still has a better overall resume than Michigan does. One win is great, and it does not make for a full resume. I would even argue that they probably should be number one, like over Georgia as well. Like I understand that Georgia, you know, with what they're bringing back and like what they did last year and all of that. But if you look at resume, TCU has a better resume. Georgia has many more close calls, you know, in the way that they played. Like you look at the way they played against Georgia tech. Um, you know, that, I, I don't think I've seen TCU look that bad, even like I test, right. Look that bad in a game like that. Um, except for maybe against Baylor, but like that's a similar situation to like the Georgia Tech. But TCU didn't have a Missouri game. They didn't have any of these other games where they just looked awful for the majority of it and and somehow managed to squeak out the win. Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to put TCU like, ahead of Georgia. I think there's an the... argument for it. I'm not saying that they should, but I think that there's at least an argument for it. Like it should be – we should be talking about how TCU and Georgia are the two teams that absolutely no matter what are going to make the college football playoff. And everybody's given that to Michigan instead of TCU. I, I'm fine with Michigan. Yep. The argument should not be – it should just be who All gets three. the fourth spot. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, for that's sure. It. Is, is it USC if they win? Is it Ohio State? That's the argument. But USC is going to get in because it's USC and it's different. It's West Coast and there's some some geographic stuff that goes on. And Caleb Williams is now going to win the Heisman and yada, 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 yada. Uh, it, oh, you Don't fans. get the playoff right. It, it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and then USC if they win. If USC loses – you know, the from a resume standpoint, it'll probably be Ohio State, and that'll be correct, even if it sucks. Is, because, yeah, you know, USC eleven and two, they're not going to get in. They'll be behind Alabama and Tennessee. Um, and you know, it, and funny, they really Tennessee should be. is not ahead of Alabama when they should be. But you know, the I saw a tweet from uh, Max Olson from ESPN. He he found when you plug in 
you know, different results into 538 in their college football playoff predictor that you could get Kansas State with like better than even odds to go to the playoffs if like all of the you know favorites lost their conference championship games and Kansas State had a win. And one, that's crazy because there's no way a three loss team would get in. But I, from a resume, just a resume, not not anything else, not the fact that they have three losses, which is something you can't overcome. But from a resume standpoint, Kansas State, if they were 10 and three, because of how strong they've been and how deep the Big 12 is, their resume would be stronger than 11 and one Ohio State, 10 and two Tennessee, and 10 and two Alabama, or 11 and two with a loss USC, which again speaks to the depth of the Big 12. No, that's not going to make the playoff. You know, it makes you wonder if Kansas State hadn't lost to Tulane. Maybe they would be playing for an outside shot at the playoffs, but uh, an interesting finding for sure that from a raw, an overall resume standpoint, you know, it's just a reflection of how deep the big 12 is. They're going to have the strongest from a resume standpoint, the best three loss and best four loss team in the country, even if they're not the highest ranked by the AP three loss or four loss team. seems awfully familiar. Look at it. it. I mean, when 80% of your conference is going bowling, Let's see. The ACC can't say that unless a five and seven team gets in. Uh, let's see. Big Ten. Uh, no, a five and seven team is most assuredly going to get in, but the ACC does not have any of them that are in line for it. Up to three teams are going to make it at five and seven, depending on the last one. But because they do it by ARP, right? The uh, Wisconsin is the only Power Five team that is currently in line to potentially be able to go to a bowl game as a five and seven team. I haven't seen that they got enough bowl eligible teams yet. Oh, let's see the big 10. No, you got fun two, three. It'll be rice. Rice is the first team in line. I forget who the second is. And then it was Iowa state, but they didn't get a fifth win. Nope. Um, I think it's rice. I was just reading it earlier today. Uh, I don't remember who it was though. ESPN oh, had an, had an article about it and it they? was, uh, uh, it what, was Brett McMurphy from on three had it or stadium or whatever he's at now had it during the week. The action network, I believe is who he's with now. Sh- sure. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I don't remember. I just bounced a little bit. Um, Kansas or TCU opens as a two and a half point favorite according to Vegas in this game. It's one of uh, the two closest lines opening lines uh, for this coming Saturday. The other one being USC is a two and a half point favorite over Utah. Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only Tortillas and Takes podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. Hey, if you missed the Black Friday sale for Homefield Apparel, that's 20% off everything on the site. Don't worry, it lasts through Tuesday. Let's call it uh, Cyber Monday and Tuesday at Homefield Apparel. Still use that promo code Black Friday for 20% off on everything. That's 20% off on a vintage Iowa State hoodie, a vintage West Virginia sweater, or a vintage t-shirt from Texas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, BYU, Cincinnati, every current and future Big 12 team are part of the more than 100 schools they have available at Homefield Apparel, the home for the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find 
anywhere. It's the best promotion of the year. It's 20% off everything on the site. Whether you're a first-time shopper or a return shopper, there's some things you probably didn't get your first time if you were a return shopper. Now's the time to get them. Whether for you, for family, for friends, for the holidays, now's the time to buy. This promotion lasts through Tuesday, and then it's done. So Black Friday is the promo code. Get 20% off everything at the store. If you miss it, I'm sorry. Don't worry. If you're a first-time shopper, Network 12 will get you 15% off your first order. But until Tuesday, promo code Black Friday, 20% off on everything at Home Field Apparel. We'll get to the rest of the Big 12 here in just a second, but the other one that's fairly close as far as predictions go, Tulane is a three and a half point favorite over future Big 12 member UCF, who did anybody see how UCF actually won that game to make sure that they got to go to the AAC championship game instead oh of gosh. Cincinnati? I mean, talk about playing with your food. UCF in the final war on I-4 for probably a long time, facing off against South Florida, builds a nice, comfortable double-digit lead. They were up 28 to nothing, UCF. 28 to nothing. They were up 28-7 at the half. USF comes all the way back and takes a 39-38 to lead with 7.02. With 20 seconds left, Mikey Keene throws over a poor pass to Alec Holler. The, Alec Holler, the receiver, one hand behind him, catch, touchdown, and find the highlight. It is incredible catch. It is an absolutely incredible have to have it to get this win touchdown catch. And they go for two and they get it that they needed, but just to get a seven point win. Um, that play is great. That catch is fantastic. The throw was, I mean, only where he could get it. Go find the Alec Holler catch, UCF. Like, they were that close to not getting this win, which is stupid and also very UCF this season, who plays up and down to competition. Have fun doing that in the Big 12. They still almost didn't get that win. Still. You know, they tried to squib it. They only kicked it straight to the up back. <laughs> At the 50 with 20 seconds and a timeout they had throws to the end zone oh man try to win that game still crazy just incredible that you needed that to beat the now 1-11 south florida bulls i know it's a rivalry game it was on the road but near just catastrophic second half collapse they were up 31 to 7 with just over seven minutes to go and almost lost that game just absolutely nuts absolutely nuts but congrats to UCF they'll be facing off against Tulane the team that we mentioned of course who beat Kansas State Tulane having themselves quite a good season their head coach may be leaving for Georgia Tech if the, the deal with Willie Fritz gets done John any what what do your notes have as far as as this game and and, uh, and thoughts on this matchup so Tulane and UCF Tulane lost badly at home to UCF earlier this year they're about to play at home again it's a rematch you're just replay of that game Tulane on paper should win that game like 60 percent of the time which equates to somewhere around a four and a half point spread no I take the back the six point spread um according to how I build spreads out I don't know what Vegas has on that game I haven't looked yet um but I, I think fundamentally you're looking at a Tulane team that is the 20th strongest team in the country UCF, the 30th strongest team in the country. One of those two, both of those two teams have taken a bad loss this year. 
and both of them have played really well at times. So it will be interesting to see if which of those two teams peaks in that game plays their best, because I suspect based on how both have gone through the season, that one of the two of them will not play their best. It will not peak. And I mean, whichever team doesn't peak is going to lose. You know, I have no idea which one it'll be, you know, Tulane beat Kansas state. What I have is the eighth strongest team in the country. They've beaten Cincinnati. Um, They've gotten blown out, run off the field by UCF. They've lost to Southern Miss this year, uh, which is a terrible loss. UCF lost to Navy. So they've had their bad moments as well. So I really have no idea. It's it's the kind of game I would consider a coin flip, which of the two teams is going to show up and play their best. And you, you really have no idea which of them it will be, hopefully, for the future of the Big 12 perception of the Big 12, it'll be UCF, not only beating Tulane, but beating some SEC team in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, very interested in this one. Of course, we'll be keeping an eye on it. We'll have picks for it on Thursday with Chris and Daniel. Yeah, uh, bowl predictions, as of this moment, I'm looking at ESPN, would have, uh, right now they have Tulane against Penn State in the Cotton Bowl, uh, based off of uh, some of the losses that we saw on Saturday, knocking some teams back, so it might be UCF, Penn State, in the Cotton Bowl. Um, congrats to Kansas State. Uh, no matter what you do, you're going to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, win the Big 12, you're going to the Sugar Bowl because you're not going to make the playoff. Uh, lose at TCU wins, well, as the runner-up, you automatically go to the Sugar Bowl against probably Alabama. That's an interesting reward. Please go and beat them. That would that would be quite... Uh, now, we don't know this for sure, obviously, but usually when it comes to New Year's Six, they're fairly accurate. And Tennessee, second loss... No starting, no hidden hooker. I don't I don't think they're going to get the call up there. We said 80% of the team's going bowling. That's a lot of fun, and I am very excited to see some of the matchups that we're going to get. And, Andy, let me just say, fingers crossed, but I want your opinion on this. Um, if the good Lord, or at least Santa, is listening, um, I understand bowl pecking order. I, I understand it. I know what the order is. It's Sugar, Alamo, Cheez-It, uh, Liberty, Texas, uh, guaranteed rate, and then other things you have to have to fill in if you need them. I believe it's one of them is either the armed forces and there's another the one. The first responders bowl is one of them. It's and it rotates year to year, so it's either be first responders or the um. Uh, yeah, it's it's first responders this year. I only know that because there's half of them. Half of the people are projecting Kansas against like a team like BYU in the first responders bowl, and the other half is Kansas versus Missouri in the Liberty Bowl. There it is. And I have been. I have been hearing lots of rumors, yes, about the Liberty Bowl being extremely interested in that one. The real question is, because the Liberty Bowl um, is down towards the bottom of the pecking order for the SEC, they, they only want to bring Kansas in, understandably, if they can get Missouri as well. Um, there is worry that Missouri will not be available to them for one reason or another. Um, that the SEC might be trying to throw something around to get Missouri somewhere else for whatever reason. Like it's it's so stupid the way that bull politics work. Oh no, it's very SEC. That. It's very SEC oh, politics. Yeah. To this is the same reason we can't ever get Texas Texas A and M in a bowl game. Like yeah, you got to protect protect A and M. Got to got to protect that team. Got to protect Missouri, even though well, everyone the in their it's, it's dog not wants pro- Kansas Missouri well, Liberty. It's not even protecting Missouri because Missouri wants it. Like 
Missouri wants to play Kansas. Like, so like, I don't understand why they wouldn't be up for it, but yeah, whatever reason, I'm not really sure why. If you're going to value the bowls and tell us that they're important. And I do think I'm one of the people who actually thinks that they are and do appreciate the bowl games. look forward to the bowl games. I understand the meaningless players opt out, whatever. I like the bowls. Um, if you're going to try and tell us that they matter, then you should be giving us the matchups that we want. And if you can put Kansas versus Bay- and Missouri in a bowl game in an, in Memphis, where both fan bases can get to it fairly easily, you should be doing that because from a fan standpoint, it'll sell out. That's good on TV because bowl games don't, or at least you have a large showing on December 28th for that game. And from a TV standpoint, like we all want to watch that. Everybody, I, no, no one's going to be like, I don't know. No, we all do. Please. Um, Santa, Jesus, uh, uh, SEC commissioner whose name just escaped my brain. Whatever y'all, if any of you are listening to the show, uh, your mark, younger, hipper, cooler, make it happen. Whatever we got to do, let's get Kansas, Missouri in the Liberty Bowl. I don't care if it bumps somebody down to another one. Sorry. Go to the guaranteed rate, play Minnesota or whoever. We need Kansas and Missouri in this bowl. Yeah, I mean, we saw earlier this year how valuable historical rivalries are. West Virginia pit week one. I mean, it was just unbelievable hype into that game. The game delivered as crazy for both fan bases. You know, super pumped to have a rivalry back. It'd be the exact same with Kansas, Missouri, if that came back. Now, I don't know if, if the quality of the game would be as strong. You would hope so. But historical rivalries matter, even though we have lost so many of them due to conference realignment. And any chance you can get those back in play is an opportunity that should be highly explored and valued. Agreed. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, they are bringing it back, but it's not coming back until 2025. So we can get a preview of that, right, by having it three years early in in the bowls, especially since most people didn't expect Kansas to be bowl eligible for us to have that opportunity um, prior to 2025. I think everybody would love it. Um, look, as much as I have mixed feelings, right, about picking it back up with Missouri, I have a no problem playing them in the postseason, you know, because one, you don't control those. Like, it's not like Kansas is choosing to do whatever here. So like whatever the reasons were for not playing them in the past, um, you know, put all of that aside in the postseason because you get no control over who you play in the postseason for the most part. So bring it on. I really want to see this game partly because I'm hoping that it's going to be in a location where I can actually go cover it myself. So um, I am looking forward to the potential of a, Kansas bowl game close enough that I can actually go to it. I've been to Liberty bowl before stadium's fine. It's not great, uh, but you're not that far from Beale street and that ain't a bad time to spend your day before you head down to the bowl game. It's not a, it's not a bad night. Uh, it'll be December 28th this year. Uh, obviously we'll find out uh, pretty much next Sunday where everyone will be bowling. Always a fun day. Speaking of teams that are bowling, Texas Tech finishes with seven wins. They are guaranteed a winning season and a winning record in conference play for the first time since 2009. And Texas Tech just beat Oklahoma and Texas in the same season for the first time in school history. In case you want to know how things are going in year one for Joey McGuire, they're in Lubbock. Not a playoff team, not a Big 12 championship game team. Don't care. They finished in the top half of the conference standings. Winning record in Big 12 play. Guaranteed winning record in year one. Beat Oklahoma and Texas in the same year. I mean, for Texas Tech, I think there are a lot of programs this year 
that you look at and say, I, you, you can't be unhappy. Like, you can nitpick. You can complain. And that's, that's fine every year. We always have teams that have good years. It feels like this year, TCU, undefeated season, Kansas State, getting to Arlington. Texas, I know, had higher expectations, but you could still point this and say that's a good year, too, for Sarkeesian with what they what it has been. You look at Texas Tech and what they did in year one. You look at Kansas in year two of Leipold. That's half the conference that should be feeling really, really good about themselves. And there's some teams who definitely had a tough year, obviously. But for those five, that's not five teams we usually talk about saying, like, this is a damn good year for you. We don't say that much about Texas Tech. We don't say that about Kansas. This is a really fun and interesting and weird season in the Big 12 where the teams we don't typically see finishing at the top or sitting in the top half or finishing just going, this is a good year. We're really happy about it. And I think this speaks to what everybody predicts the Big 12 being down the line of being unpredictable and being interesting and being deep. And I would just like them to talk about it in a respectful way and not like, a, haha, look how cute it is. But I'm, I got to say, for the teams who finished this year and feel good about it, Texas Tech being one of them, congrats. It's very exciting. Andy, congrats to your team. John, I'm sorry about your Bears. It's a tough, it's a tough year. Trust me, as an Oklahoma State fan, I understand. I understand very, very well. It's one of those things, right, where this is a, this has been a, this is a season that started out as chaotic as the 2007 season felt, right, where you never knew it was going to happen, and by the end of the year, like, this one didn't stay as chaotic, because I think by the end of the year, we kind of coalesced to something where the results from early in the season made sense and really kind of fed into what's happening towards the end of the season, but let me tell you, it's been a wild season beginning of this year. Um, and it set us up for, I think, one of the most enjoyable college football seasons in a long time. Not just because, you know, there's like, not just because Kansas going bowling for me, but just because there, there was so many times where, you know, the the sport decided to throw a curveball that I just didn't see coming, which is usually either really entertaining or really really bad and i think this was a year where it was really entertaining for the vast majority of college football fans so i'm i'm glad to see that uh, all the realignment crap over the offseason didn't diminish the crazy sport that we all love but um looking forward to the wrapping up of this season and then potentially what's going to come next year can i just say i know I, I tease it on texas but like eight and four you had some man you probably should have won those games alabama Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. But that's progress for Texas. And I you finished third in the Big 12. You you won the game you had to to potentially get to the Big 12 title game. You're not going to get there. We understand. With the Quinn Ewers, it's probably more injured than it's been let on. You've seen progress in the two offensive and the defensive line. I know they're going to lose some studs at the end of the season. Probably Bijan. I understand what expectations Texas always has for what their program should be. I feel like Texas fans should be happier with this year than they probably are, given where this program has been for the last decade plus. They say in year two, we have seen real progress in this program, which is what you should expect. I know everyone wants that year two bump, or you look at what Sonny Docks did in year one at TCU and all these things, and I, I get all of that. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe next year they'll come back out and they'll do eight and four again and they'll do seven, five and take a step back. But I feel like in a year two 
for a program that's trying to actually build itself into what it needs to be before it leaves the SEC. This is a solid year two for Sarkeesian in Texas. Not perfect. They made mistakes. Again, some losses you look at and go, what could have been? But I would call it a successful year for Sark in year two of the program. I would absolutely call it a success. I mean, your your three games that you could easily have all won from playing for a spot in the playoffs and you know close losses happen it's part of the sport you know no very few teams in any given season make it through all of their games without taking a couple of close losses you know even all the contenders you know, several of them have close losses it happens um, i think for texas looking forward next year uh, a question i have is will there be additional pressure on Quinn Ewers early in the season, especially if he has a few more of what this year have looked like freshman games where he's not his best because his best looks really good, you know, but sometimes he hasn't been there when they beat Baylor at the end of the fourth quarter, you know, the two scores that put them ahead and then put the game away. They pretty much, I think he threw one pass on those two drives because he was not playing well earlier in the game. The only reason Baylor had the lead was because he fumbled and Baylor returned it for a touchdown in the second half. So he has moments or has had moments this year where he has not been his best. And next year, how is he going to cope with the pressure of that if it happens while Arch Manning is sitting on the bench waiting to go? Like that's a different level of pressure than what he had this year where he was the man. There's no one behind him. Hudson Card not going to press him for playing time. Next year, if he continues to have those moments, what is the team going to do in response? Because quarterback controversy can be the type of thing that tears a team apart, especially, or it can cost you a lost season. Like Clemson this year, they played DJ Uyunglele. I probably butchered that um, all year, and they benched him in the Syracuse game, down double digits in the second half. And they had the number one QB recruit in the country come in, lead them to a win, and then they went right back to DJ playing QB, and he didn't play great. He got you know, when they got blown out by Notre Dame, he played terribly. When they lost to South Carolina, he played terribly. And so Clemson might look back and say, "Well, this was a lost year, maybe, especially if they change QB in the future." And the other guys awesome because he was the number one quarterback in the nation coming into college. What if that happens to Texas next year? If Ewers continues to show flashes of brilliance and still has a few, you know, freshman or now sophomore moments where he's just not his best, you know, there's going to be a different type of pressure on him that he didn't feel this year. And I wonder how he will respond to that if he wins the job in the spring. And, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen when Arch Manning comes in. I think it's a great point. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the thing that I'm most interested in. Like, all of the talk from what I was hearing from, you know, like there was na- national writers and other people kind of quoting what Sark was saying. Like, the expectation, right, is that Archie Manning is coming in and is going to sit for a year to fully develop his game and every like all this stuff like that. That was the expectation from the big story about his recruiting visit and all of this stuff. But this is Texas. We're talking about if Quinn Ewer struggles at all next year, how loud do you think it's going to get all the calls for Archie Manning to get pulled off the bench 
and to get started. Like Quinn Ewers did not have the fantastic season that a lot of Texas fans were fully expecting him to have. And this is the Texas fan base that, as I was joking with um, Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic podcast, they are absolutely full of patience and understanding. Like, you know, <laughs> Quinn Ewers, he is going to have to get it together really quickly, I think, next year, um, because there's a ton of pressure built in to a place like Texas. I will be very interested. Like, it was great for Sark for them to get the record that they did this year to avoid things like a loss to Kansas for the second straight year, like to avoid all those pitfalls that, you know, that everyone was joking are what Texas does now. Um, but this is a team that still, I think, underperformed the expectations. You look back at the end of the season, like they should have had this one. They should have had that one. This was a team that a lot of people were expecting coming into the year, especially after they played Alabama and almost, you know, beat Alabama. The expectation level rose quite a bit for this team. And I don't think that they lived up to it based off of what a lot of people are thinking. So good of a year as it was for Sark, as good of a year as it was for Texas. They are going to be, I think, expected to take a big step forward next year. And it's not like they're going to have like everybody back. This is not like a, you know, like a, a Kansas team that is getting the vast majority of their players still have eligibility after this year. Like there is a really good chance that Texas is going to have significant turnover. Um, hopefully they can be good enough to avoid any kind of fan mutiny or any kind of, you know, big problems for them going into this next year yeah i mean for texas it's a successful season but also at the same token if you're 10th in most of the uh you know high level analytics um the advanced metrics and analytics have you as the 10th strongest team in the country and you're sitting at eight and four was it really that successful of the season relative to how well you played maybe not you know there there is some question to that i would say yes considering what we thought of the team going into the year. It's a successful season. It's a stepping stone for greater things to come. It's moving in the right direction. Uh, I mean, it, every coin has two sides and sitting there rating as the 10th strongest team in the country, eight and four, six and three in conference play. You know, who knows? Maybe that's not a successful season. Again, how much of that rating is built off of barely losing to Alabama and then fortified on the back end by barely losing to TCU. Right. And so, again, you kind of have to look at it and say we were you were that close. And I, and I I think the hey, they almost beat Alabama gets overplayed. But I do think there's some validity to it. And hey, you almost beat TCU. But you didn't. But there is some validity to it. And it's those little things we're talking about in the Big 12 all the time. It's the teams that can win the close games. It's hard to do consistently. It's hard to go into a year and play as many close games as you typically have to play in the Big 12 and win the majority of them. Because if you do, you're going to Arlington. TCU, we've seen that. Kansas State's won enough of them. Texas couldn't get enough of those wins that they needed to be able to put themselves in position to do so. So, look, we'll do a whole lot more like season retrospective coming up. We definitely will do an episode looking at the, the the teams who feel disappointed, specifically Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, West Virginia, Iowa State, uh, and, uh, and and probably throwing Houston in there since I'll be joining the Pick Twelve. Um, we I said we weren't going to go too long, and I'm going to stand by that uh, because we're about to hit the hour and hour mark. So uh, typically we look to the week ahead, and what game we're most interested in. Obviously, that's going to be the Big Twelve and the AAC championship games. Uh, but so 
I'm going to run through some basketball games that you want to keep an eye on in the Big 12 this week. And uh, and if you guys have any thoughts on those. Um, on the women's side, we're going to start there. Just because Jamie isn't here doesn't mean that it's not important. Uh, going all the way to Friday, Texas playing host to a 7-2 and South Florida team that's pretty dang good. TCU on the road to a 6-0 and Rice team. That's pretty solid, uh, and uh, and honestly, that's it. It's pretty it's pretty down week on the women's side as far as key matchups or interesting matchups to keep an eye on. Uh, just because I, it's a rough day in the Big Twelve, though. Whoa, 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 whoa! You're forgetting. Did I miss one? The Kansas is hosting Texas A and M on Wednesday, which I realize is not like ranked on ranked or anything like that, but that is a fairly I significant just, sorry, matchup. I, I somehow I missed. I jumped from Tuesday to Thursday because like the days moved. I don't know what happened there. Uh, no, that's fair. That's, look, ESPN. No, it it very well may have been sucked. the top twenty-five. You might have selected top twenty-five. No, I selected to be twelve. So. I, I, I oh. know what I was doing. Okay. No, no, their their app, well, their website, not good. Let's just let's just call it what it is. Right. It's not good. We're we're gonna blame it on ESPN because it's there's a very good chance it probably was ESPN. I am. Uh, Big Twelve, Big East battle really gets out of the way on the men's side this week. Tuesday you get Baylor at Marquette. Wednesday is Kansas State at Butler. Georgetown at Texas Tech. <coughs> Providence TCU uh, Thursday you get Oklahoma State at UConn Creighton at Texas that's a ooh, it's a top 10 matchup that one should be really really good Kansas playing host to Seton Hall uh, Friday Baylor versus Gonzaga in South Dakota ooh mm, that one's fun uh, and then Sunday Saturday <laughs> just kidding Xavier West Virginia Wichita State Kansas State Quite a few good games this week on the men's side, looking at the matchups, the, the where team each team sits as far as record. And then, of course, we got the Big East, Big 12 battle pretty much going on this week, ones to keep an eye on. Uh, I said we were going to try to keep it under. I feel like we did. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's not, let's not drag it out. We are the 10-12 podcast. Go Big 12. We will, we will. We'll have plenty of stuff to talk about next week, though, as well, because we didn't hit, you know, Kansas extending line fly pulled. There's tons of basketball action um, that happened in these Thanksgiving Day tournaments, including um, Iowa State is currently, as we are recording, <laughs> taking on UConn in the championship of the Phil Knight Invitational um, after the thrilling four overtime game between Alabama and North Carolina that was expected to be the final, but is not the final because both UConn and Iowa state decided to upset those teams and make it to the championship. So Iowa state has had a phenomenal look at some point. We are going to have to talk about the absolute wizardry that is uh, TJ Otzelberger being undefeated and on conference play so far at Iowa state. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, we're about, let's just say that. Let's do, let's do this. Um, next week, we will devote half the show to basketball. And then the week after that, Monday should be I would hope so, since the only thing we're talking about is the championship game. Well, in bowls, football. we should know the bowl. I mean, games. bowls. Well, yeah. Don't assuming you dare, all the bowl. I don't want to ever hear what I hear. Kansas. We record. I don't want everyone to hear a Kansas fan like bemoan bowl games. Those dumb. Well, assuming that they're all out because they don't necessarily all come out very quickly. Like it takes a little while for them to get through. We should have a pretty good idea by Sunday night who's going. Hopefully. All right. Uh, follow us on the ten twelve network on Twitter. T e n number twelve the word network. Uh, Tentacle Pod on Insta. Follow Andy at AndyMitz12 on Twitter. Rock Chalk Podcast is his show. Uh, John, plug the Twitter accounts. I haven't memorized all yours yet. J3 Wheeler versus 
channel. And then there's the CFP resume ranks, or if you search CFP resume rankings, you'll find us there. Ranks because of the Twitter char character limit. Rankings is the, the name, but you can come find us there. Uh, check out our website. We're posting uh, through the college football season weekly, breaking down just the Big 12, but the resumes and how we get there for the entire country this week, especially long uh, post. If you're wondering what the college football playoff hierarchy is, uh, what it looks like, I referenced that a little bit earlier in the show for the Big 12 teams. If you want to see what that looks like for the full uh, college football playoff picture, go check it out. And uh, yeah, that's where we're at. We're back on Thursday to make picks for championship weekend. We will talk to you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.